The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. I appreciated the warm greeting when um, Dr. Ebersol introduced me. Uh, most of you have had me know I teach primarily freshman classes, and there's a freshman chapel today, so I'm not sure I would have gotten such a warm greeting if the freshmen were here. Um, and one other just quick note, uh, the, uh, Dr. Ebersol uh, mentioned the race that I used to do, and it's actually called the American Berkebiner. And if any of you are ever interested, uh, there's actually a, uh, it's a, from a historical event, the race was um, in commemoration of an historical event that happened uh, in, ter- in Norway. And so there's an actual Norwegian Berkebiner as well, and an American Berkebiner. Uh, and it's based on this historical event. And if any of you are interested, uh, you can see it in a movie called The Last King. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it. it it's in, you'd have to, it's got a, uh, English subtitles because it's in Norwegian. But it's a very fascinating historical account of some of the issues that were related to the warfare um, that was going on between the church and uh, Norwegians at the time and the Baglers and all kinds of cool things, especially those of you who are history majors. If you're ever interested, I'd encourage you to... Uh, look at that. And one thing, if I could even brag on students, much just like you, um, while it was really an accomplishment for me, I really enjoyed doing that race. It was a very grueling race. Uh, even Olympians consider it to be one of the hardest uh, races in the world on the world tour. Um, our, we had a cross-country ski program in Wisconsin, and we would take students just like you, many of you just like you, and uh, basically they would come back from uh, Christmas break and they would start in learning cross-country skiing. And uh, in a matter of six to seven weeks, many of them were skiing 25 miles on this grueling uh, trail. And I can't even uh, begin to tell you how impressed so many of the local people were with Cairn College students who were oftentimes just very um, full of grit and full of vigor and just really brought a lot of life to the community. And uh, people were very impressed by these college students. Um, I'm speaking today uh, not just from Colossians, um, but Colossians uh, chapter 1 about the preeminence of Christ is kind of like the, the, at, the, at the head of my message, and I'm going to get into that today. But I'm going uh, to preach actually for him to teach from uh, a story of my life and then draw out some lessons that I learned, and it's about a time that I got lost in the woods. And again, uh, as Dr. Ebersol mentioned, you know, as director of uh, the Wisconsin campus, for almost two and a half decades, and um, we were surrounded by really literally uh, a, one point my, a 1.5 million acre national forest woods, and so it was a very rural recreational wilderness area. And I'm a hunter, and every October, um, what we call uh, grouse season would come in. For those of you who don't know what grouse, it's a game bird, and it's a very elusive game bird. It's very challenging. And I realize that um, there's maybe a lot of you who can't relate to what it means to be a hunter. So I don't want to, I can't take up all the time to go into the details, but it's a little bit part of the story. Um, So I'll just share a few details on how I came to get lost in the woods. Uh, But again, being in a recreational uh, wilderness area, I could pretty much leave work and go out to hunt uh, pretty close by. So it only takes me about 15 minutes to drive to my hunting spot. And um, so I went into uh, the woods and I hunted for a while. And when I didn't get any birds up, again, they're pretty elusive, they're hard to find. 
and especially in early season, all the leaves are still on the tree. So while this might sound crazy to a lot of you, try to connect it to something you really love to do and that's really challenging. And besides the fact that grouse are really tasty and I wanted to bring some home for supper. Um, you know, think of something like that in terms of the challenge that's there. So uh, when I didn't see anything, I kind of walked across the road and I thought, well, you know, it's getting kind of late. You know, I'm trying to watch, looking at my watch. It was an overcast day, so I couldn't see the sun. Uh, and I knew it was getting dark, but I thought, you know what, I, I just got to go find a bird. And so I just kind of started to get this within me, and I crossed over uh, the road into a part of the woods that I didn't know really well, I wasn't real familiar with. And so I kind of stuck to the, uh, the, the forest road, the road trail, uh, grassy trail that was going through the woods. It was actually a snowmobile trail. And I stuck pretty close to it. I got off, on, off it a little bit, got back on it, but I was kind of a little nervous because I didn't know that section of the woods real well. And at a certain point, I just thought, you know, okay, I'm going to turn back. It's getting late. And all of a sudden, I heard the bird flush off to my left. And I thought, ooh. And I thought, okay, should I or shouldn't I? And I thought, no, i got to go after it. So as I started to walk into that part of the woods, and if, if you know, again, anything about bird hunting, a lot of times the bird will flush, they'll fly, and then they'll stop. They actually kind of get tired. And then you can kind of come up on them again and maybe get a glimpse of them through all the leaves. And... So at that point, I walked into the woods, and I'm walking, and bam, there he did. He flushed again, right? And I thought, oh, it's getting really excited. So think about this. Think of you who have any kind of, like, challenges where something, like, teases you. Think about whatever it is, the carrot that's on the end of the stick that you could just about grab. And it's like, oh, I got to grab it. And it kind of gets pulled away, and you're thinking, no, oh, I'm going to grab it. Well, that was what it was like for me, okay? So I keep looking at my watch going, okay, one more flush, one more flush. And so I I can see if I can see him. I walked a little bit further, and he flushed again. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, okay, okay. So I went further into the woods thinking I can get him up again. Well, I didn't. So I said, okay, I got to get back to the trail. I got to get back to the trail. Uh, I'm getting too far into the woods here. So as I turned to walk back, I thought it was a good decision. As I'm walking back about a minute later, off to my right, I hear the bird flush. And at that point, I'm thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I? And that's where it just took me another min millisecond to go, I'm going after him. I'm going after him. I got to get that little bugger. So the thing is, it's kind of welling up within me. So I take off to the right, and I start walking. Well, I never got the bird up again. And at a certain point, I'm thinking, okay, I'm kind of not exactly sure where I am, um, but I think I know where that trail leads, so I'm going to kind of take a different way to that trail. And I walked for a while and walked for a while, didn't come to the trail, and I thought, okay, and I'm really looking at my watch now. I know when sun's going down. Again, it's overcast, I can't see it, but I know it's gonna get dark in the woods. And at that point, I'm thinking, I, I gotta get back. I gotta get back the way I came. Well, I started to walk back the way I came, and nothing really looked familiar to me. Um, I made a, unbeknownst to me, I actually kind of took a gully that I had not walked in on, and so I actually took me further away from the trail. And at a certain point, I'm looking around and everything's unfamiliar. So I start, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? Well, you walk faster, right? And so the thing is, I start walking faster. And, you know, I've been in the woods enough to know that stay calm, right? But I didn't, okay? So I panicked. And what do you do when you panic and you're not staying calm? Well, you walk even faster. You start running, right? It's like, I'm going to keep running even though I don't know where I'm going. And so at a certain point, I remember stopping and looking around and going, you know what? I am utterly lost. I have no idea where I am. I share that with you to tell you some lessons I learned um, from, that, from that evening. First thing is, I was lost without an essential piece of equipment. 
and that was my compass. It was early season, I had all my hunting clothes, I threw them all on, I remember sitting, my compass sitting on my workbench, but I didn't put it in my hunting vest at the time, and I was there absolutely frustrated without my compass. Overcast day, sun's going down, if I would have had my compass, I would have easily known which way to walk, how to get back to the trail, but at that point, I didn't have it. When I think about that in terms of what it means to walk a different path, if we're going to walk a different path in life, it's absolutely essential that we have our compass with us, and the first thing would be the written word of God. Psalm 119.105, we know the imagery of Scripture and the beautiful imagery, and there's so much imagery related to the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Paul, in talking to Timothy about the scriptures, said this, From infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Very familiar passage, all scriptures, God breathed. Profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, uh, near the end of Moses' life, if you remember when the Torah was given, uh, we translate that as law, but Moses, giving the fuller picture of it, remember when he said, these commands, keep them near to your heart. Why? Because they are your life. And in the end of Deuteronomy, he's exhorting the Israelites, choose life. You've got to walk this way. Psalm 1 gives us this beautiful imagery about the word and the impact on the word. Again, a very familiar passage, I'm sure, to all of you. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But this person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, they meditate day and night. This one is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he or she does, they prosper. The reason that we emphasize a biblical worldview at Cairn in all of our disciplines is that the word presents us with ultimate reality. Now, we know this. The Bible is not explicitly a book of philosophy or metaphysics. But here's the thing. It is primarily a story, but behind and under and throughout the story, the Bible presents us with ultimate reality. It gives us this picture of ultimate reality about God, ourselves, and the world in which we live. And a biblical worldview, we know this. It's more than just reading and memorizing scripture. It's more than just understanding the history, the literature, the theology of the Bible. It's more than just having personal devotions. It is all that. But it's, it's more about internalizing the ultimate reality that the Bible presents us with. If you really want to be a truly informed student of the word, and an informed believer. Think about it in this way. Scripture has to be formed within us, and informing that takes place. I'd like to expand on this metaphor of the word as compass, because while we have the written word, which is a product of God's breath, speaking through human authors, and it does have a place of authority in our lives, it's Jesus Christ who is the living word. You know this from John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the one who is our ultimate authority. 
If you think about this way, we don't place scripture over Jesus. You know, if you've heard the expression before, bibliolatry, where we basically worship the Bible and put the Bible in a, in, as our ultimate authority or even God, right? Jesus is primarily our ultimate authority. And we know from reading scripture, we know, um, you, you know, you've all studied theology. We often talk about God by way of analogy. He's our father, he's our rock, he's our fortress. We talk about Jesus as being a shepherd, the gate, bread, living water, cornerstone. Well, I'd like to present to you this morning that I want you to think about Jesus as our compass. Peter talks in um, 1 Peter about Jesus being a living stone, and an inanimate object, but living, right? The metaphor is there. And while Jesus is the cornerstone or the living stone that forms is to be the foundation of our lives, Jesus is the living compass who helps us be able to walk a different path. So when you think about the written word and the living word, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Listen to these words in Jeremiah chapter 17. It's very similar to the Psalm, Psalm chapter one, but listen and notice the difference. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. This one will be like a tree planted by a water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are green, always green. It has no worries and a fear of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Our primary loyalty and trust is to and in Jesus. If you wanna walk a different path, the written word's important, but a relationship with the living word is primary. Jesus is our source and our sustenance of walking a different path. But a caution here. Jesus said this to the Pharisees in John chapter 5. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, if we're not careful, especially as people who work within and who study within a biblical university. If we're not careful, it's really easy, very subtle for us to substitute the shadow of the real thing for the real thing itself. Um, a younger friend of mine whose folks were going through a divorce after kind of a, the dad announced this over, of all things, a holiday weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, I remember uh, she shared with me this. She said, you know, Mark, um, what I realized after talking things through with my dad and looking back on his life, I realized that my dad was actually more in love with the idea of marriage and having a family than he was in love with my mom. It's really easy for us, subtle, to sometimes love marriage more than we do the real person. It might be easy for us to love experiences and the image of us they present on Facebook than absolute pure enjoyment of the experience in themselves. We can actually love worship music more than the one that we're supposed to be worshiping. And we can actually 
love the Bible and biblical studies and theology more than we do Jesus himself. In order to walk a different path, we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Colossians 2, Paul tells us this, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul goes on to say this. He's telling the Colossians this so that no one will be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. So remember this, a biblical worldview, it's not just about Bible-centered, it's cross-centered, it's Jesus-centered. And Paul warns the Colossians in this way, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. And when Paul's talking about this, think about this even for our time. We're not just talking about the philosophies of Aristotle or Plato or Socrates or Hume or Locke or Spinoza, right? We need to be fully mindful and on guard against the philosophies of Hollywood and Wall Street and Madison Avenue and Washington, D.C. and Amazon and Marvel Comics and Game of Thrones and Facebook. Paul exhorts us in Colossians, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Again, remember, Christ is our source of all wisdom and knowledge, and Christ is our sustenance for walking wisely in this world. And just like our relationship with the word, okay, our relationship with Jesus isn't just about information, right? It's not just informational, it's relational. It is not to be transactional. It is to be transformational. Jesus wants us to be intimately and personally in connection with him. He wants a conversational relationship with us. I was in a really difficult situation uh, many years ago where a leader I was involved with in ministry uh, was walking a path of moral compromise and in many ways was uh, living a secret life contrary to the word of God. And in many cases, too, there was even attacks upon me and lies that were being shared. And in a lot of cases, these things could have been made public uh, and found out. And I really wrestled with um, speaking the truth about this, wrestled with making it known and revealing it. And I knew this, that if I spoke the truth, there were going to be some really, really negative consequences. And many people would be hurt, not just emotionally, but also spiritually. And I was willing to speak the truth, but after much talking with Jesus about the matter, he made it very clear to me that I was not the one to speak up. He said he would take care of matters in his own time. My wife and I left that situation, and as I confided in a number of friends and even pastors about the situation, I remember most of them, many of them said, you know what, I would have spoken up. And this was kind of their line. They said, biblically speaking, it was the principle of the thing, Mark. And I said, yeah, I, I get that. I understand where you're coming from. But the principle of the thing is to first and foremost hear the voice of the Lord and obey. Now, I know full well, guys, I know this full well, that it's the challenge of the subjectivity of hearing from the Lord versus the objectivity of the word. And I fully realize the issues that come up when, when people talk about hearing from the Lord, especially when we know and we hear it's kind of contrary to or in conflict with Scripture. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the written word and the living word must go together. We just face so many experiences when we go to apply Scripture in life 
where we just don't know. And we need to hear from the Lord very, very specifically. And in those moments, what do we need? We need to just trust in the Lord with all our hearts and listen for him and not lean on our own understanding. It doesn't mean that we're not to use our brains. God gave us the brain, but what it means is we're not the center point of all wisdom and knowledge. We're not the treasure chest. It's Jesus. It's our Lord who is the treasure, the hidden treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. And so do we do. We know him in all our ways, and we listen for him. And what will he do? He will direct our paths. I want to look at another aspect of Jesus as our compass and walking the path of life. And I'm going to kind of do this quickly just for the sake of time. But I want you to think about this. Um, somebody one, This is going all the way back to Daniel Boone. Somebody one time asked Daniel Boone if he ever got lost in all his travels. And he replied this. He said this. I can't say I was ever lost, but I was bewildered once for three days. Now, this quote reminds me of something else that is a very well-known quote from Tolkien in his book, The Lord of the Rings. Not all who wander are lost. Not all who wander are lost. I've been in situations in the woods where um, I've wandered all over the place. I've wandered for hours, even in unfamiliar territory. But I wasn't lost. Why? Because I had my compass with me. And while I may have taken very, very hard and challenging paths to get back to my vehicle, at other times I may have taken easier paths that took me longer to get back to my vehicle, but here's the deal, I always got back to my vehicle. So it may have taken, it might have been harder, it might have taken me longer, but I always got back because I had my compass in hand. You know, something that's really been helpful for me and I offer it to you is the distinction between the clock and the compass. In many situations um, where I've felt lost, um, many of you maybe who feel lost, whether it's a week, a month, a year, for many of us who are older, it's sometimes many years, it's helpful to think about this. Do you look at the clock or do you look at the compass? See, our tendency is to look at the clock. And when we look at the clock, we get fearful because it's like, when's this gonna happen? When am I gonna get out of the woods? And we can fear, worry, complain, panic, give up, lose heart. We can start running in different directions. My wife and I experienced a period of um, many years actually where we felt like we were wandering in the wilderness. And in my weaker moments, I kept looking at the clock. I worried, I got frustrated, I complained to God, I questioned his handling of our lives. But God made it very, very clear that he had us right where he wanted us. And he said basically, stop looking at the clock. Look at the compass, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now we wandered for almost three years uh, in that period of time, but God, made himself very, very known to us. We learned a lot about God and ourselves during that time. And God provided for us all that time. And after those three years, it was really interesting because we left the metaphorical wilderness and God led us into the literal wilderness of the Northwoods of Wisconsin, where we had the privilege and responsibility of building and developing the Wisconsin program. And you know, I wouldn't have traded those three years for anything because basically God prepared us during those times in the wilderness, keeping our eyes on the compass, not on the clock. He prepared us for the challenging work that we had ahead of us. Second thing I wanna tell you, the lesson I learned is this, and I'm gonna kind of go through these just kind of, my main emphasis was on the first point about the compass. 
The next three points I'm going to kind of move through quickly, but I want you to get the gist of how I got out of the woods. I was lost because of the little decisions I made, which took me off the path. I made a whole bunch of little decisions, not one big decision, but a whole bunch of little decisions that took me off the wrong path. It's the little things that we do, positively or negatively, every single day, that either keep us on the right path or take us off the, wrong, off the right path. Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 12, the way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And I've heard this expression, many of you may have heard it years ago, but moral failure in life is usually not due to a big blowout, but due to a slow leak. And I learned this from a mentor of mine um, for many years, who I learned a lot of wisdom from, who fell and walked into, made decisions, made a decision to sin and to sin grievously. And I had an opportunity to talk with this man. And I asked him, I said, you know, you've taught me a lot in your wisdom. What can you teach me in your, and I kind of struggled for a word, and he said, in my foolishness? I said, yeah, what can you teach me in your foolishness? And he said this, he said, Mark, the same rationalization process that you go through on the little things, do you think they're nothing? They just, you rationalize them? He goes, it's the same rationalization process you go through on the big stuff. You know what? At first I didn't believe him because I actually knew what he did, and it was so grievous. I couldn't believe that but I have come to understand the wisdom of that. It was all the little rationalizations, all the little decisions that took him off the wrong path, the right path. Third point is this, I was lost and I was in danger. But here's the thing, those of you who are familiar with this, maybe outdoor action people who have taken Stefan Hauser, um, there's a lot of wilderness survival courses out there. And typically, one of the first things that wilderness survival people talk about in classes is they said, they introduce it by saying, what's the most dangerous thing in a survival situation? And they might give a desert, they might give woods, they might give an airplane accident, you know, whatever it is. You know. um, basically, people give all kinds of different answers. But you know what the key answer is? Some of you might already know this. It's yourself. Most dangerous thing in a situation like that is yourself. See, once I realized I was lost, I wasn't really worried. It's like, ah, I can last out the night. I've done this stuff before, good grief. You know, I've done wilderness things and outdoor stuff. I wasn't, that wasn't the issue for me. You know what was the issue was for me? I wanted to get out of the woods so badly because I was embarrassed. You know what, to my students, like I was the outdoor guy, the Wisconsin wilderness guy. Like I took them on, in the woods on skiing, biking, hiking, snowshoeing, and I always kind of knew where I was. And, Students were really impressed, like, wow, how do you know your way around the woods, right? I was the big wilderness guy, right? Now I'm the big lost guy. It was my ego. Plus that, I knew I was going to freak out my wife. I was scaring her. And I'm thinking, you know what? Oh, I got to get out of here. And I'm thinking, okay, it's dark, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You know what? You know what? I couldn't do it. Most dangerous thing in the woods at that point was me. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Finally, I was lost, and you know what I needed? I needed some help from my friends. The Beatles came to my mind. So I admitted to myself, I am not going to get out of the woods by myself, and I need help. 
I told students tons of times, if you ever get lost in the woods, stay put. Stay put, we'll find you. Don't panic, just hang in there. So I sat down next to a tree and waited, knowing that my friends would come get me. Chuck Colson, the founder of Prison Ministry, was asked one time what he thought the greatest danger to Christianity was in our time. And his first response was individualism. Individualism. This point is about the truth that God has given us brothers and sisters and mentors and elders and wise people to help us walk along the path of life. We're not to do this alone. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. We know this, God gives others to encourage, exhort, rebuke, confront, bear our burdens, listen to our confession of sin, to offer grace and forgiveness and even more. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. If someone's caught in a sin, you are spiritual, should restore him gently, carrying each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. I got out of the woods because my friends were there to help me. After coming and looking for me for hours, they eventually called the sheriff. They established search and rescue operation. I could hear all of it going off in the distance. I'm thinking, oh, great. Okay, my ego was shattered, right? But you know what? I learned some good lessons, and I needed help. On the path of life, you know what you want to do? You want to hang with people who help you get out of the woods, not people who take you further and further into the woods and to lostness. In walking a different path, stay connected to Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Be permeated by the worldview of the Bible. Be mindful of the little decisions we make every day that keeps us on the right path or takes us off. Watch yourself. Listen when God speaks truth to you about yourself. Find and keep significant brothers and sisters and mentors who are going to walk this path with you. Walk a different path. Let's pray. Jesus, you truly are the author and perfecter of our faith, and we seek to keep our eyes on you, as the author of Hebrews tells us in another metaphor. May we run with perseverance the race marked out for us, and we throw off all the sin and the things that so easily hinder us and help us to fix our eyes on you. We're thankful and we worship you as the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. And we pray in your name. Amen.